Good morning. I want to say thanks to Pastor Rob for allowing me to come and speak to you uh, again this morning. And uh, it's just a privilege um, to uh, share the Word of God with you. Um, I, I really enjoy doing this. Uh, it's one of, the, one of the joys of my life is to preach, uh, to share the Word of God, to teach it. And uh, so as we begin this morning, would you just bow with me in a word of prayer? Father God, we just, uh, um, we come before you um, and we ask that your presence be here through your Holy Spirit. We know, Lord, that you're in us. You, uh, you reside within us, but Father, I pray that you would, uh, you would now rise kind of above us and uh, be present and speak to us through your Spirit. Lord Jesus, your Spirit is here, and so um, we need you right now. We need you in this time. Father, maybe more than uh, at other times in our lives, we need you. And so we ask that you would speak this morning through your word. And uh, as an instrument of yours, would you just speak your words through my mouth? In Jesus' name, amen. In my office um, at home, there is a, a, a little plaque, and I don't really know where it came from, but it says, pull the... Water the seeds, pull the weeds. And uh, as I was walking through this message and thinking through this whole content, if you're looking at 1 Thessalonians 5, you can turn there. We will be there. Um, but as you think about that, you're not necessarily thinking about weeds and seeds. Uh, you're actually thinking about the, the second coming of the Lord and uh, what's happening. And we're going to get to that today. Um, that's, as you know, that's my heart. Uh, that's where I stand. That's the things that has been... The, the keynote of my ministry. Um, but watering the seeds and pulling the weeds is something that also is, uh, uh, I think, the Lord's speaking to me today about and speaking to us. Um, you know, to water seeds is something that gardeners do and pull weeds, and I'm not a gardener. Uh, you can ask Rosemary, I do not do gardens. I, I'll, go out and, I'll go out and plow them up for you, and I'll take the stuff down, I'll put up a, a deer fence for you, but as far as the garden is concerned, that's your job, isn't it? It is. And so we can tell when uh, there's been water in the garden, and we can tell when there are weeds that grow up and, and come around the garden. That doesn't happen very often in Rosemary's garden. But I was also in a field uh, helping a farmer uh, several weeks ago, and you can tell in the field where there is... Uh, where there was a drought, so we hit a hillside, a top of a hill, and the yields just kind of plummeted. And I can tell from the grain cart what's happening. I can tell that I'm not picking him up as fast as I was before. Uh, there isn't as much grain on the combine. And you can also tell when you run through a patch where there's a lot of weeds. I mean, they, they sprayed them, they did everything they could, but the weeds still came up and they drowned it out. And, and you know that without water we get no fruit and with weeds we get no fruit. Those two things are essential to bearing fruit for our gardens and our crops that we have in our fields. Well, it's also essential for us uh, as a people. Now, we live in a culture of weeds and drought. That's the culture we live in. Think about it. Think about the immoral lifestyles that are are presented in our movies, in our uh, TV shows, in the people that we live around. Um, there, there just is no standard for morality anymore. It's just whatever you want to do, go ahead and do it. It's no big deal. We live in a, in a society where there's no integrity. A lie is a lie. In fact, a lie becomes a truth, and a truth becomes a lie in our culture. Uh, that is what's happening to us. We have a culture that loves money. We have a culture that loves pleasure. All those things are telling me that we live in a culture of weeds. And we have a drought of the truth. People don't want to hear the truth. In fact, if you tell them the truth, they say, they just want to close their ears to what's happening. They don't want to know the truth. Now, unfortunately, that this often happens also in the church because we live in a time where people excuse sin. We excuse it. It doesn't matter to us about that. You know, 
we, we, live in a cult, we live among a culture, but that culture is seeping into the church so that we, we say, well, it doesn't matter if I sin. God will forgive me. Well, absolutely he will. That is true. But do you think God cares if you sin? Oh, absolutely. And yet, we still sin knowingly, expecting God will forgive us under his grace, which he will. But we have weeds in our gardens, in our lives. And so this morning we're going to water some truth, we're going to water some seeds, and we're going to pull some weeds by the power of the Holy Spirit. As I was driving here this morning, I was listening to a song, and it talked about God's grace, and uh, it was talking about God's grace is what makes me want to change. And I thought, oh, that's bad doctrine. That's bad doctrine because, you know what? God's grace doesn't make me change. God's grace allows me to be changed. There's nothing you can do to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. And I say that right up front here. You can't reach down and get rid of these weeds. They don't come up. They are they're resistant to your pull. And there's nothing you can do to water the seeds in your life except to say, God, open my heart. And I'd ask you right now to start that process, to start saying to the Lord, I want to know what you want to tell me today. What are, the we- what are the seeds in my life? Where are the weeds in my life? And Holy Spirit, will you start the process of pulling the weeds? You see, um, the question I have in the church today is, are we deceived? You know, I'm going to come to that, that phrase right there. Are we deceived? May I say this? I am deceived... When I say, it's okay if I sin today and I'll be forgiven tomorrow, I'm deceived. I am deceived when I excuse my sin and say it doesn't matter. God will forgive it. I'm deceived. We, as a church, are deceived. Now, this is really no different than I've often preached to you, and yet... I want you to tell you that I think that it makes a bigger difference today than it did 10 years ago. Not that we weren't any different 10 years ago than we are today, but there's something happening that you need to be aware of that you don't want to be in a situation where you have not pulled the weeds and you have not watered the seeds. So we're going to turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. And as we turn to this particular passage, um, I want to give you a little bit of history here. Um, I want to talk with you about uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians. This book is written to a church in, in the town by the name of Thessalonica. We don't know. Where, it's someplace in Greece. That's all you need to know. Um, this is a really small church, and it's a really strong church. Okay? It has got its act together for the most part. It's called in verse 3 of chapter 1 that Paul says to them, I'm thankful for the work of faith in you, for your enduring hope and your loving deeds. They have faith, they have hope, and they have love. They have love for their brothers, they have hope for eternal life and for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and their faith is strong. These people have got it together, except that we know that uh, in 2 Thessalonians it tells us that they were starting to become deceived by teachers who said the coming of the Lord has already happened. And Paul had taught them time and time again about the coming of the Lord. And that's why in this particular context, as we move through 1 Thessalonians just briefly, it's a strong church, it's a a church with faith, hope, and love, and it's a church that's been taught that the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in the rapture is going to occur. He's coming back for you. You're going to be caught up together with him in the clouds and forever be with him and that's called the rapture. And that's found in 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. And then we come to chapter 5, which starts to talk about how this is going to occur. It says, now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't need to write to you, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord will return, will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night, when people are saying everything is peaceful and secure. Then disaster will fall upon them, and suddenly, as a pregnant woman, labor pains will begin, and there will be no escape. 
You see, Paul was telling to his people, telling these people in Thessalonica, he's talking to us also through the power of the Holy Spirit and the, and the inspired word of God, that the Lord's return is going to be unexpected. That means you can't plan for it. You can't expect it. So in my calendar, I've got that, uh, you know, something's going to happen on this day and this, this next week. I, we've kind of gone through our calendar and we've said, okay, these are things that happen. And then on Monday, Rosemary will remind me that these things are going to happen and, and I'll forget again, okay? And I'll remind her of some things also because we're both, you know, how it is. <laughs> it's your, your house is my house. We, we struggle with the same things, you know? But we expect certain things. We know this is going to happen on this time at this day, and we calendar it in. Well, you can't calendar in the Lord's return. Can't do it. You can see the signs. Like Jesus says, you can tell when the, when the leaves come on the trees, you know what's going to happen. You know the leaves have just fallen off the trees. You know what's going to happen next. What's next? Snow. How do you know that? Because the leaves have fallen off the trees. And when do you know when spring's going to be here? When you see green grass and you see green leaves. You see, we know the signs of the seasons. And Jesus says, you can know the signs of the season. You just can't know the calendar day or the hour that's going to happen. See, the Lord's coming is going to be, is going to be Unexpected. You see, he says here in this first verse, you know quite well. Church, you know, because I have taught you. You know this is to be true. You know quite well that the day of the Lord, will the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. Like, like a thief in the night. None of us want a thief to come to our houses in the night. That's why we bolt the doors. Well, most of us bolt the doors. I know people that don't. However, we don't expect a thief in the night. And it's going to come unexpectedly. And we know it. If you know this, and you know that Jesus is going to come unexpectedly, wouldn't you prepare your behavior for the coming of the King in your life? So we know that, and we know that he says it's going to be unexpected, like a thief. It'll come when people are saying peace and safety, and it says while peace, people are saying this peace and safety, destruction will come upon them already, and labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. This is a common phrase that's occurring in our culture, in our political culture today across the world what do people want right now peace what else do they want we want to live in safety we live in a, in, in a culture that is that is full of war right now there's a war in the Middle East okay and we're separated from it oh yeah we're separated by water but we're not separated from it if you looked at the news this morning you're looking at stuff going on in our nation that we have never ever seen before Okay, we have Palestinian riots, pro-Palestinian riots in our in our culture, in a, in a nation that has supported and says we support Israel. At the same time, we have pro-Palestinian riots that are taking place. And I saw a picture of someone defa defaming the statue of Franklin uh, Benjamin Franklin this morning. Not they didn't paint on him; they just put a pro-Hamas headdress on him. See, we want peace and safety. It says when people start to say that, destruction will come upon them suddenly and it's labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So what are we really talking about here? It says, but you aren't in the dark. Brothers and sisters, you are not in the dark about what's going to happen. Because we're talking about the day of the Lord. Now, when you talk about that, that, that word... Uh, the day of the Lord has a lot of, um, it has a lot of meanings, okay? It can have a really broad meaning, it can have a real narrow meaning, depending on the context that you're reading it in, okay? And so, 
This particular one, let's just take a look and see what the Old Testament says about the day of the Lord. It says, the great day of the Lord is near and near and coming quickly. Oh, doesn't that sound like what the New Testament said? But this, this was written some 2,000 years before the New Testament was written. It says, it's near and coming quickly. Remember that, that a day in our lives and a day in our time is not a day in God's eyes. God's coming quickly can be a couple thousand years. To us, it seems like crazy. But he says, near and coming quickly. Listen, the cry of the day of the Lord is bit, will be bitter. The shouting of a warrior there. A day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress, a day of anguish, a day of trouble, a day of ruin, a day of darkness, a day of gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. The day of the Lord is a time of judgment upon the nations. It says in the New Testament, in 2 Peter, the third chapter, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Hmm. Wonder who was writing this and who was writing First Thessalonians. They're two different authors. One is Peter and one is Paul. Do you think they talk? Well, I think they did, but I think the common element is the Holy Spirit. Spirit says to us, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar and the elements will destroy, be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. It sounds like the end of a great war, doesn't it? Well, let's talk a little bit about what this day of the Lord is. And you've seen this timeline before. I've shown this to you before. But I want you to think about this in terms of what the day of the Lord is. And from the biggest picture of the day of the Lord, it is from the time of Jesus' birth to the time of Jesus' second coming. That's the biggest picture of the day of the Lord. The time of God will bring judgment at the end of that time. So it's the full picture. But in the narrowest context, the one we're dealing with here in Zechariah and, first, and Second Peter and in First Thessalonians, it's the narrow section, which is from the rapture of the church, actually just after the rapture of the church, to the come, second coming of Jesus, which is called the tribulation period. And the rapture of the church just precedes it. The day of the Lord is coming near. So in 1 Thessalonians, Paul here is talking about the idea that we don't have to be in the dark, that uh, um, the day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. In other words, this time of judgment, this time of tribulation, some people call it great tribulation, some people call the, the whole thing tribulation, and then the last three and a half years, great. I don't want to, to dice words here. I just want to say the whole seven years tribulation you don't want to be in. You don't want to be there. It will be a Zechariah. It will be a day of dark and gloom and chaos. It is a time of judgment. A judgment upon the nations of this world. Upon those people who have said, I don't want anything to do with you, God. Okay? Because just prior to that is a time when the rapture of the church is going to come. It says in this passage in First Thessalonians, we need to be vigilant. We need to pull some weeds. Verse 5. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to the darkness and the night. So be on your guard, not asleep like others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. You know, earlier we said, are we deceived? I would say in many respects we are deceived, including myself sometimes. We get so complacent in our world, in our lives, that we just say, you know what, he's coming back, but you know what, I don't know when he's going to come back. So I'm just going to live my life. Is it possible that the church is asleep? Oh yeah, I think it is. I think it's very possible. Now if you think of the larger church, okay, all the churches across all, all this nation and around this world, okay, there are some churches that are way asleep. I mean, they've been, they've been snoring, okay? And there are churches that are less asleep, maybe partially awake, partially asleep. And we don't want to play judgment here. We just want to ask the question, are we? So let's ask the question, are we asleep? So the church is composed of the people. 
It's not the leadership. It's the people. So you can only answer for yourself. Are you excusing sin in your life? If you are, you're asleep. You're deceived. He says, we are not children of the dark. We are children of the light. So be on your guard. Be alert. Be clear-headed. You see, we live in a time that I would classify as the last days. The Spirit says clearly that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. This is a church we're talking about here. We're not talking about people who are not believers. We're talking about times when people will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and, and things taught by demons. We, when we went to Mason City last week to, to speak up there at a, at a small church, we drove into town and I drove past a church that, that displayed the rainbow flag saying, all are welcome here. We, we accept anyone You know, I'm sorry, that church is asleep and snoring. Spirit says clearly that that's an evidence of the end times, the apostate church. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Now, there will be terrible times, but the things that follow this don't sound like terrible things. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to the parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of what is good. You know, I just made a wrong statement, didn't I? Those are terrible days, aren't they? I hope you caught that, okay? I said, there isn't, aren't terrible and what follows isn't terrible? No, what follows is terrible. That people are loving themselves, they love their money, they are boastful, they are proud, they are abusive, they disobey their parents, they are ungrateful, they are unholy, they are without love, they are unforgiving, they are slanderous, they are without self-control, they are brutal and not lovers of God. Sounds to me like something we have watched in the news for the last four weeks. The horrendous events that occurred on October 7th are absolutely mind-blowing to me I've been listening to podcast after podcast and they all want to go back they want to show me this I don't want to see this stuff I know what I can see what happened over there to the Israeli people those civilians is absolutely horrendous it's it's inhuman all in the name of Allah the moon god But this is talking about the church. Do you know people who are lovers of themselves? Lovers of money, who are boastful and proud? Go down through the list. Does any one of those things sit with you? I mean, Hope and Ian just stood up here and they talked about all those things. And they said, this recovery group is for all those things. You know, Hope and Ian, the problem with that is that you'd have all of us in there and what would we, we just will have church. We just will have church and go through the 10 steps. You know, you look at this and you say to yourself, this is in the church. It's got to be a terrible day when the church acts like this. They will be treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power and having nothing to do with them. So I want to talk a little bit about where we're at prophetically. But before I do that, I want to share with you a story about uh, being unalert. So most of you know that I spent some time in the field on a, on a combine. Not on a combine, but in a grain cart. This is what I drove. But I want you to see especially the length of the auger. Now, that auger will fold back down alongside of that cart. 
And that's where it's supposed to be whenever you were going and opening up a field. You're supposed to have this auger down so that on the outside of the field or you're running across anywhere where you're going to possibly hit something. You want that auger down. Well, this was, I hate to say this, you're all going to think I'm terrible. But this was a Sunday morning. Okay? Oh, I know. I know. I get it. I get it. I get it. It was in good faith I was doing this. It was for a farmer. He wanted to get the field done. He, 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 he needed to work. And I said, you know what? If I'm not there, you gotta have, I'll come help you. So I was trying to be a servant to my neighbor. Um, okay. Enough said. Yeah. So I'm driving around the, the field, and, and it was a beautiful Sunday morning. It's bright sunshine out. It's 50 degrees plus outside. I, I had a, a, an earphone in one ear over here, and this ear is open to the radio, see uh, uh, business band radio over here so I can hear what the combine's going. I'm following the combine around the outside edge of the field, and uh, as I come into the field, there's nothing on my left-hand side. I'm thinking to myself, no big deal. I forgot to fold the auger in. So as I'm going around the field, there's nothing on the first the left-hand side, the first, um, you know, part of the field. I turn the corner, and I, and I don't see anything on my left-hand side, but I'm not seeing any posts. But above me, at about uh, 30 feet or 20 feet, whatever it is, there are two highline lines up there. And as I go down this side out here, I'm just enjoying. I'm watching, the, I'm watching what I'm supposed to be watching, the combine ahead of me. And I come along, and all of a sudden, out of my peripheral view out here, I see this post. I stop immediately. I'm saying, that post is not supposed to be coming down. <laughs> this is not funny. Not at this time. It's not funny at all. Because I see it come down, and I look up there, and these, these wires are just bouncing. They're bouncing up there. And I'm thinking to myself, first of all, have I hit something? Have, am, am I electrified? Is the, is, the com, is the tractor electrified? No, I'm not touching anything. The, the, the auger's up here, the post is on the ground, the wires are hanging up here. And so I get on the, on the radio and I talk to the um, combine operator and I said, I pulled down a, a, a highline post. He says, what did you say? <laughs> I says, I pulled down a highline post quiet. He says, well, come down to the end of the road. We'll take a look and see what the damage is. We pull down to the end of the road, lower the auger. Yeah, we pulled the little motor. Uh, what it caught was the small motor at the top of that. Um, you can't see it's on the other side of the, of, the, of the auger. There's a little motor up there that turns that head. We pull that and the, the head won't rotate anymore. She can't unload. Uh, in fact, it's dented in the, the, um, the tube of the auger. Can't unload. It, it's done for the day, potentially. So we lower it down. He says, take it back up to the, to, the, um, to the yard. We'll take a look and see if we can fix it. So as I'm driving back up the line, it gets worse. Uh, on the ground is a fire, a fire in the field. Now this is in the, the eight rows that were combined, but it's headed toward the the thousand rows that are still up. There's no wind that morning, thank the Lord. Um, so we get up there, I yell fire into the thing, everybody comes running, we put the fire out, drive up, we fix the combine. Here's, here's the story. This is the reason. I was unaware. I didn't think it mattered that I had to pull the, con the augury in every time I go around the field. I didn't think it mattered. I'll tell you this is the truth. I will never, ever again drive that auger wagon without that auger down when I'm going around a field. I learned. I learned by the hard knocks. But I was asleep. Now, I wasn't asleep, but I was not, I was not awake. Brothers and sisters, this is an illustration in physical life of what we're doing in our spiritual lives. I'm doing the things I'm supposed to be doing. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm going to church. I'm doing the things I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm still asleep because there are times in my life when you and I are saying, I'm going to do this sin. I don't care what happens. I'm going to do it because I feel like this, because I love pleasure. I love money. I love whatever else it is that we love. And we are asleep. And Jesus is coming back 
soon. So let's just go back to that. There it is right there. Let's just go back to this. Now, we're talking about the day of the Lord. So the day of the Lord is from the point of the, the rapture of the church on. This seven years that we're talking up there called the tribulation. People have asked me the question, so what do you think this war is prophetically? This war in Israel right now where Hamas is attacking Israel, Israel is attacking Hamas, and the nations, because I know that uh, there's a nation down in, uh, I think it's Libya right now, that's fired some rockets in, one of their uh, Iranian um, proxies, they call them, and Hezbollah up on the north uh, uh, is, is shooting rockets into the northern part of Israel. And so is this, is this anything in prophecy? And people say, well, it's Ezekiel 38 and 39. And I said, no, it's not Ezekiel 38 and 39. Because Ezekiel 38 and 39, which looks like this. You see, in Ezekiel 38, Russia's involved, Iran's involved, Libya's involved, Turkey's involved, um, Syria's involved, and they're all coming against Israel all at once. And Israel is saying, we're at peace. We're at peace with people. We, we don't have a problem. We're at peace. But now these people are coming at them. And at, in Ezekiel 38 and 39, Israel is standing alone. There's no one supporting Israel. That's not the truth today. There are allies. We've got carrier groups over there supporting Israel. So the United States is supporting Israel, at least militarily, politically, who knows what's going on? Well, we know what's going on. But you have all the factors, all the players involved. You've got Russia involved. You've got Iran involved, which is Persia. You've got Gog and Magog, and Magog is, is, is Russia. Gog is whoever's the, the head of Russia. You've got Turkey that's rattling sabers and talking out of both sides of its mouth right now. You got all the players involved, but you don't have Ezekiel 38 and 39 yet. So people say, well, when does Ezekiel 38 and 39 occur? Well, there's some sense that there's a lot of different ideas about this, but my personal perspective, um, and again, I'm going to give you my opinion here, because I don't know that you can know for sure, but what makes the most sense to me is this, that the Ezekiel 39, 38 and 39 war occurs right at the same time, simultaneously with the rapture of the church or shortly thereafter. Because when you rapture the church out of the nations of the world, you're going to have something that the world is already calling the disappearance. They're already calling it that. They don't know it's a rapture. They're not calling it the rapture of the disappearance, but they're talking about a disappearance when the aliens will take somebody away. They're already saying it. If you watch any of the movies, just watch some sci-fi movies for a while, okay? You'll see it in it. It's present in the, um, oh, what's those movies with uh, Iron Man in them? Somebody help me. Marvel movies. If you watch those, it's in them. Everything we're talking about is in them, just couched in a little different framework. But if you watch carefully, it's kind of like, oh, it's there. They're already setting the scene for the time when the rapture occurs. And when the rapture occurs, they're going to say good riddance, but if there's a war that occurs right after that, what are they going to be yelling for? Peace and safety. Now, if you place this war right in front of the other war, what are they calling for right now? peace and safety. And let's just say that we get a point where they actually do, do, go, do a peace treaty between Israel and kind of a semi-one. Okay? And then you hit another war. What are they going to call for? They're going to they're they're demand peace. And it's going to escalate to the point where they're going to say, anybody who will lead us to peace will follow. And the, the Antichrist, the one world governor, the one world president is going to rise to power. Now, if this war we're in right now is just a foreshadow, you know what a shadow is, don't you? Okay, you can see my shadow up here. When my shadow walks 
When this shadow moves, if you were standing over here and you want to know where I was, if you looked at the beginning of the shadow, you would say, oh, he's coming. Foreshadow. The beginning of the shadow. This war is a foreshadow of Ezekiel 38 and 39. I've listened to a lot of pastors over the last month, and they're all saying the same thing. Anybody who's in the same slot that I'm thinking of, they're all saying the same thing. This is just the beginning. This is just an evidence of something going to happen now. When does the day of the Lord occur? Right before what? The rapture of the church. First Thessalonians tells us here in this particular chapter that we are not appointed to wrath. We will not endure God's wrath. If this war is a foreshadow of the Ezekiel war and the Ezekiel war, and I understand there's a lot of ifs in here, but it comes right at the same time or close to the time of the rapture. How close are we to the coming of Jesus? And how important it is for you to be pulling weeds and watering the seeds of the truth in your life. You get into the Word, folks. You take this home and go look at this yourself. You figure it out, okay? You figure out what you believe, and then you act on that. But your behavior, not yours, our behavior is what tells the truth of what you believe. If you excuse sin, then your behavior has already told you you don't care what God thinks. That's a terrible thing to say for Christian people, for a church. But We need to prepare ourselves. So it goes on in 1 Thessalonians, the 8th verse, it says, But since we belong to the day, since we are of the light, let us be self-controlled. Let's control our bodies, folks. Now, remember what I talked earlier about the fact that you can't reach down and make yourself do this. That's exactly true. Anybody ever tried to control your own body and, and find it going crazy out of control? That's the truth. Okay, we can't do it. But you know what self-control is? It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians, the fifth chapter. The Spirit of God gives self-control. So if you're walking with Jesus, and you're saying, Spirit of God, make me what I'm supposed to be, then self-control becomes part of the process of Him growing into you. He says, put on faith and love, a love as a breastplate and hope of salvation as a helmet. Faith, love, and hope. Faith, hope, and love. Where does that come from? 1 Corinthians 13. This is the wedding passage. It's not really, by the way. 1 Corinthians 13. Faith, hope, and love. The faith of, our, of coming to Christ and knowing that He is our salvation. By the way, salvation has two different ideas within it. One is the eternal salvation that comes forever. What's, we're, that's our hope. We're going to go up to be within heaven. But also the salvation of us today. We all need to be saved every day from the sin that tempts us. And who gives us the capacity to do that? It's the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, search me and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. And cleanse me. Search my heart, Lord. Search my heart. First Thessalonians goes on to say, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. Just a note about wrath. Wrath is God's judgment upon sin. If you want to see wrath outpoured, look at the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ is the, is the wrath of God poured out upon His Son to pay the penalty for our sin. The wrath, was, the wrath of God was satisfied on the cross for everyone who believes. In other words, 
If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that He is your hope of salvation, He is your hope of everything, He is your life, period, your wrath has been satisfied. But the one who does not believe, he will endure the wrath of God. Brothers and sisters, if that doesn't scare the pants off you for the people that you don't know, that you know that don't know Jesus... I'm having a hard time with this. I'm having a hard time speaking the truth to people who don't want to hear the truth. Anybody else with me? Yeah, it's hard. So what do we do? I'm afraid we have to speak the truth and get whatever comes back to us, back to us. Because the time is short. They need to know the truth. I have a person in my mind, and maybe you have one in your mind already. Someone you've been thinking about that God's brought to your mind. And you know you've got to tell them. You've got to tell them that the rapture of the church is going to come, and, and after that's going to be a terrible time. You need to know Jesus. And they're going to think you're crazy. And they're going to say, I don't want to hear this anymore, Dave. And I say, I, don't, I want to share this with you because I don't want your blood on my hands. I don't want to get into heaven and God say to me, so what did you do about X person I told you to talk to? You say, well, I just, I was so scared. And yet you let them, by your own inaction, action, walk into eternity in the wrath of God. Now, I understand it's not your responsibility, but if God lays it on your heart, we should do something about it. Including me, folks. Including me. All of us. We are not appointed to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation. Salvation from what? What do you think? Salvation from wrath. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died and paid and suffered the wrath of God so that we, whether we are awake or asleep, may live together with Him. Now, I'm going to comment about awake and asleep. Some passages. In fact, I changed this one here because I wanted to go to the NIV because I wanted those words, awake and asleep. They could mean dead or alive. Okay? Because that's, tr- that's part of the context of, of uh, 1 Thessalonians, that people are dead and they're asleep. Okay? So dead is asleep and awake is alive. Okay? It can be that. Okay? But the closer context to this is, the closer context is, is the first Five, or first five verses of chapter 5. And what does asleep and awake mean there? Deceived and not deceived. Look what it says. It says, for the Christian, whether you are awake or asleep, you may live together with him. The church is not going to be split at the rapture. He's not going to take up all those who are who are got it figured out, and all those who didn't get it figured out are going to stay. No, we all go together. However, when you meet Jesus, if you have been asleep, tell me how you're going to feel. This is the one who died for you. It's the first time you ever see him. And you're going to walk into his presence having just committed an act of sin, knowingly, Saying, I don't care. And all of a sudden you're in his presence and you say, wow, I didn't think it was going to happen that fast. I thought it's going to have some time to get ready. Folks, we are so close to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are so close. I don't date it. I won't give you a date, but I'll give you a time frame. If it doesn't happen in the next two years, I'll be really, really, really surprised. And it could happen before that. It is so close. I was praying through this this passage. By the way, I've been working on this for the better part of a month. Thinking about it, praying about it, praying, Lord, what do you want me to give you, give these people, these not just you, but these two churches I was going to preach to, 
And the word that came flashing in my mind was warning. Warning. Warn them. Warn them. I said, Lord, tell me, when are you coming? And this is the, this is the vision, the, 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 the thought that came to my head. Now, I believe that God speaks to me through, through my thoughts. Especially when I'm walking and I'm praying and I'm, I'm seeking Him. I want to know what's going on. And, and, and I saw the Father stand up. The Father's on the throne. Jesus is at His right hand. And I saw the Father stand up. Now, in my understanding of the rapture, the rapture is the illustration of the wedding, the wedding party of the bride. So Jesus is the bridegroom. We are the bride. And in the Jewish ceremony, the Father stands up and he tells his son, go get your bride. When the father stands up, you better be ready. Folks, I'm not saying that's the gospel. I'm not saying that's the truth compared to the scripture. I'm just telling you, that's how serious this is to me. That's why I share this with you today. It's because I think this is very serious. This is a serious as Hamas coming in and killing the people in Israel. That's how serious this is. We are dealing with the souls of people in our hands. And we are dealing with our soul. If you don't know Jesus today, if you, you're listening to this, you say, well, I wanna, I'd like to know how to know Jesus. Well, it's simply by saying, I believe. I believe He's the Son of God and that He died for my sins. At that very instant, you will be saved. It says, for with the heart man believes, and with the mouth he confesses, and he will be saved. See, this passage is all about encouragement. Now, I'm, I'm sure that as you listen to this, you could be discouraged to a certain extent to say, man, I'm just not, not where I need to be. Okay, I'm glad if you're there, I'm glad you're there. It says, encourage one another and build each other up just as you are already doing. We need to be vigilant. Our small group um, was in a passage of Scripture um, on Sunday, uh, two Sundays ago. Um, we were reading through, and I don't remember how this all came about. We, we ended up on Psalm 139, 23 and 24. And if you want to know what I think it means to be vigilant, to be prepared and encouraged to be pulling the seeds and watering, uh, to be pulling the weeds and watering the seeds, I think this is the answer. This is the culmination of everything. It says in the 23rd verse of Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. Test me, God, and know my anxious thought. Put out anything in me that offends you. Excuse me. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. We're going to have a time of silent prayer here in a minute. I'd like you to pray that prayer if you mean it. If you don't care, if you're thinking to yourself, I wonder when dinner is, just forget what you've heard. If that's What's that? That's how you feel. Just forget it. It's not meant for you. But if you have hit this thing and you're saying, yeah, I got there's some things in my life that need to change. There's some people I need to talk to. There's some fear I need to get rid of. Then you need to say, search me. Test me. Point out anything that offends you. Because I want to walk in everlasting life with you. Now your salvation is never in question. But your fellowship with the Father is. Let's pray together. Father God, I'd ask right now by your spirit that you would invade every heart you would convict every spirit. That you would remove any evil spirits that would cause people to say, I don't have to believe.
that you would shut down the adversary and you would increase the power of the Spirit in this room. That you would convict us, that you would search us, Lord, you would test us. That we may walk in holiness with you, and not just this morning. Lord, you've given us a warning. Would you hear our cry right now? Lord, your name is above all names and you have placed your name on Israel on Jerusalem and on your temple may your name be honored and glorified would you be preparing your people to hear the truth of the gospel when you come again would you protect your people would you bring peace to Jerusalem And Father, are we here in the West? Would you convict us and would you bring repentance in our hearts? And would you raise us up to be your ambassadors and your witnesses to this community? May people say, I've heard enough. I don't want to hear it anymore. And may others say, I want to know Jesus. Lord, open the doors of heaven. Pour out your spirit on the people that we will speak to, both near and far. Open their hearts because only you bring belief to their lives. But Father, use us to save the few that are left before you come again. In Jesus' name.